0: Let's have a big day. Hashtag big day ambassador. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily
1: podcast on fantasy basketball, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day.
0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Bball. We are doing another season recap podcast today. Now we're going to be looking at the Detroit Pistons. So to talk about the Detroit Pistons, I am joined by another of Basketball Monsters fantasy analysts and that is Kyle McEwen. Kyle, Welcome back. Thanks for having me on again, Josh. Good to, good to have you, uh, you back on the show to talk about your, your boyhood team, your favorite team that is now in the balance as to whether you are sticking with them after some, uh, some I guess questionable decisions uh, over the, the period of time and and just again forewarning to people we are recording this show in advance so by the time you're listening to this show the Detroit Pistons may actually have a front office in place and they might have a head coach but at the time of recording Kyle they don't have either of those and we are uh, less than a month at the time of recording we are less than a month away from the NBA draft and there is no coach and there is no front office so things are moving swimmingly in the Motor City.
1: Yeah, they well they fired Stan Van Gundy last week and they still have Jeff Bauer working in the front office. He was the GM under President uh, Stan Van Gundy. Um but yeah, it's just it's just a bizarre situation. And beyond that, are you is there anybody that the that you've seen the Pistons are interested in having move into their front office that actually interests you? Like or anybody that stands out. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, seen like Brent Barry and Shane Battier. I like that they're role players and not superstars coming in trying to make decisions about uh, the the team's roster, but it's, there's, I don't see a lot of hope in the, in the guys that they're going after, or at least they just don't instill a lot of confidence.
0: Maybe there's a little bit of hope. I like Brent Barry a lot. I don't think that he should be the guy that you're giving GM Look. Bring him in to be an assistant GM. Like, let, let him do that. I, I just don't understand the idea of, oh, this guy played in the NBA, therefore he will be a good coach slash executive because they're different skill sets. Even being a coach or an executive or an announcer or a player, they're all different skill sets. Surely you're, surely the Pistons' number one guy they should be looking at is David Griffin. Like, surely. I don't know if they are. I don't, I can't remember seeing that name bandied about, but that's the guy you should be going for. The guy that was a GM, a successful GM in Cleveland and built a team, you know, strongly and had lots of foresight and all the moves he made. That's the guy you should be bring in. Not Chauncey Bill used to play for us, so now he can make the decisions. Yeah, uh, that's, it's, it's, it's a bullshit line of thinking to me. I don't understand it at all. Chauncey does his thing. He was a great player. He's you know, articulate. He speaks well. He speaks common sense most of the time when he's in the media. That doesn't mean he's a good GM. And it's the same for Brent Barry, that probably the best former player announcer there is. Doesn't mean he's a good GM. He might be, but it doesn't mean that he is. And I'd prefer to go with someone who has, uh, executive type background that knows ins and outs of, uh, law and legal matters, which is a lot of what being a GM, GM is. Vlad Divax. Do you know? Didn't work too well, did it?
1: <laughs> no, that didn't. Do you know who the Gerson Rosas guy is from Houston? Because that that name interests me, and the, the the company that he had in with
0: Daryl Morey in Houston that interests me. I just don't know much about him at this point. I don't know anything uh, about about him at all. But I would prefer someone from what you're saying, someone like that with. Uh, a, a a background in in working under someone like Maury or working with him in an executive-type background. That's the sort of player I'd want. Obviously, they've got to have some sort of basketball acumen. What they've got to be able to do is also listen to the other basketball people that they employ, the scouts and those sort of people, and be able to take all those ideas in, not just, you know, oh, man, this guy gets buckets that sign him. Like, that's that's sort of nonsense-type thinking that gets teams in a lot of trouble. So hopefully the Pistons can make that right decision. But... uh I'm not sure we have the uh, utmost faith there. What about coaching wise, Carl? Like at-, at this stage, I-, I can't even recall hearing anything about someone coming in for an interview.
1: No, and that, I mean, that makes sense from the perspective of, okay, they're obviously going to hire the front office people first so yes. that they have a say in which coach that comes in. I, I like that because it's always a an odd and awkward situation when you hire a coach or you've had a coach there for about a year and then you bring in a new front office and everybody's kind of sitting around looking over their shoulder thinking, well, what's, what's this person's real motivation? Because the front office ultimately will pressure or decide whether or not the coach is, is their coach. Um, so, but it is still annoying that you don't have a coach lineup right now that you don't know who's going to be, uh, running things for you or setting a, a certain precedent. Um, obviously that's not as important as the front office is going into the draft, but as you pointed out at the beginning of the show, there's less than a month before the draft, and the Pistons don't don't really know who's running things for them. And it, regardless of the fact that you don't have a first-round pick, you should still be doing all the work as if you're drafting number one overall because
0: what you should nice. be
1: trying to move up for certain players or you should at least be doing all the due diligence you have so that you have that 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 wealth of information about these players going forward in their careers.
0: This is legitimately stuff that happens with these teams. It's like we don't have a pick or you know the Bulls like you know selling that pick off because they hadn't scouted enough players to know who was left over. Like it's it's ridiculous. I know they've got the 42nd pick in this upcoming draft and they don't have a first round, but who knows what sort of offer. Someone might come to you and say, "Uh will can we have Blake Griffin? We really want him and we'll give you The Bulls might say, "We want Blake Griffin. We'll give you pick 7." And the Pistons should say, "Yeah, please, please. Can can we please do that?" Uh, and then they said, oh, shit, but we haven't actually done any work on the draft because we didn't think we'd have a pick. Like, just cover your asses. It, it's your job. It should be what you're doing. And as you said, provides information for all this stuff in the future. Interviewing these players, getting an idea personality-wise it is really important. And uh, we will see how that all pans out. Now, in terms of free agents on this team, there's a, a few guys who are unrestricted players. uh James Ennis, Anthony Tolliver, uh, Jameer Nelson. Now, Tolliver played a pretty key role down the stretch. Ennis was uh, was uh was sort of yeah, he was okay, but I think he's going to be in decent demand because three and D type wings are players who are always in high demand, and there aren't many of them around, so he'd be someone they'd be looking for. And then you've got a, a non guarantee on Reggie Bullock's deal, which will one hundred percent be picked up. I would, I would assume it's only two and a half million. Eric Morland, who worked his way into the backup center role, he's non guaranteed, and Dwight Bikes the same. And then you've got uh, Kay Felder as a restricted free agent, which I'm sure majority of people listening to this. Would not even have had any idea that Kay Felder was on this team to end the year, Kyle.
1: Yeah, he was one of the two-way guys, though, right? Him and Reggie Hearn. So correct. It's yep. kind of a yeah. Um, you, 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 you went you went down the roster pretty good. I I don't I didn't I wasn't impressed by James Ennis. So I don't hope they don't resign him. Anthony Tolliver, as you pointed out, he he had an important role or he filled a good role for this team. And he's a good dude, and he does what he's supposed to do. He plays defense, and he hits three-pointers at a high clip. Um, Eric Moreland, even if he, with his two years of non-guaranteed, even if the Pistons decide to cut ways with him because the new front office just doesn't doesn't think he, he needs to be on the roster with his skill set, some other team should pick up Eric Moreland or bring him on for next season because he's... He's just a good player. He, do- he doesn't make mistakes. He always passes out. He's, that's his first thought after getting a rebound is to pass the ball out, and he's, a, he's an underrated passer for, for what he is, or I think he is a, a better passer than what people would would
0: think. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. That he, he, I thought, yeah, I thought he was impressive enough, um yeah, to find himself in a, a decent role for the next couple of seasons on this team. They finished thirty nine and forty three, a disappointing year, obviously beset by injuries, uh, especially to Reggie Jackson when he went down. That really did cause the team to struggle. They were twenty first in pace, nineteenth in offensive rating, and tenth in defensive rating over the course uh, of the season. But again, with so many injuries, especially to key players like Jackson, it's hard to get a full read on the team. And then we're going to be having a, a new coach in place. So a lot of things you know, could be different in terms of how they approach uh, this upcoming season. Let's start with Andre Drummond. Kyle, he was the 20th ranked player for the season and improved his free throws out of sight quite clearly, 61% from the line, 15 points, 16 rebounds, three assists, one and a half steals, 1.7 blocks, 53% from the field. But in saying all of this, he did improve those free throws up to that level, but he still took five attempts at 61%, which had him at a Z score of negative 2.7 which is still pretty much in punt territory. It wasn't as bad as before, but it's still not an easy one to recover from. And I feel that people may get into that trap with Drummond in thinking that they can draft him and still be able to field a top two or top three free throw percentage team. And I don't think that's going to be possible despite the improvements he made. You can go from absolutely house to just bad, and it's still not enough to necessarily um, make you be able to be yeah, good in that category. Maybe you can push yourself into the average to below average area but is that really enough to sacrifice gaining other stats to do that or is there a possibility that Drummond's impro- Drummond improves further because he did tail off a little bit towards the end of the season
1: yeah you uh you know the post all-star he was he shot just 56 percent from the free throw line whereas he shot 63 uh, percent in the first 55 games of the season so there was a little bit of a tail off uh, there for Drummond with his free throw percentage it was night and day as far as how good he was this year though in respect to how he was in the past so you love that there is definitely maybe the potential for him to can to do better again this next season but even in that respect i don't think you're going to see it necessarily jump up to 70 percent. he might shoot 65 next year or something along that that line um, you love his, his the his what he provides for you in steals the the blocks were better this year um his rebounds are obviously tremendous The assists were really nice in the first half of the season, 3.6 assists in the first half uh, pre-All-Star, and then post-All-Star just 1.7, and that all has to do with the fact that Blake Griffin was added to the team, and they stopped using Drummond in that high post kind of dribble handoff
0: role and didn't really ask him to do much in regard to that. Yeah, that, that's exactly a key point as well. And it's something that we can talk about again. You can look at the season stats and go, he improved his free throws. Look at that, three assists per game. But we do have to realize that that addition of Griffin, that pushed his assist numbers back to basically what they were prior to, uh, to this season. Meaning that if we're expecting you know, Drummond to put up three assists over the course of next season per game, I think it's pretty doubtful that he gets there. And could he be a 55% free throw shooter? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that there is a real risk with him of getting overdrafted or drafted in wrong situations by people who assume that those assists will stick up and that the free throw percentage isn't, is now nowhere, it's now not a burden anymore, but it still is. And I say this as someone who's a massive fan of Drummond and he was impressive this season. The blocks, as you said, you get the efficiency back up. The rebounding is excellent. But there are two real key traps there, I think, when looking at him next season that people do need to be aware of. And uh, you highlighted them perfectly, which is uh, why I've got you on this podcast. Blake. Thanks, Josh. Blake Griffin, Kyle, um came across in that trade for Tob- Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, and the first-round pick, which is uh, now gone to the LA Clippers' Only 58 games for Griffin. Not a shock there, as he dealt with injuries, uh, as is his uh, standard operating procedure. 34 minutes, 21 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, almost six assists, two threes, uh, 0.7 steals. from the field is pretty disappointing, 79% from the line, and he's really transformed his game. If you looked at this Blake Griffin stat line compared to what we saw early in his career, the fact that he's getting six assists, two threes, and shooting 79% from the line, but only 7.4 rebounds, it does not seem like something that griffin would have been able to do back in back in his early years he's really transformed his game and we've got to be able to adjust for that and realize that he's not a 10 rebound guy per game anymore he's not going to be a high efficiency guy he adds threes he gets assists and he's this weird sort of hybrid player but the injuries are something that we do obviously have to be concerned with
1: yeah yeah that's definitely true um you highlighted a lot of the the kind of like issues with his game in, in regard to fantasy, his assists were up when he, after he came to the Pistons. And I don't know if that maintains as much next year or how that's all going to play out because we do need to wait and see who they hire as a coach. Um, and, but also with Reggie Jackson being healthy next season, you might see some of those that 6.2 assists that Griffin averaged in 25 games with the Pistons that might come down a little bit.
0: I'm going to have a look. I'm going to get you to talk for a minute because I want to have a look at how Griffin's assist rate was with Reggie Jackson on the court versus with him off the court, just so we've got some sort of a baseline there. So um, feel free to... Griffin's uh, steals freestyle. came
1: down a little bit uh, with the Pistons. He was getting about 0.8 to 0.9 steals the last few seasons, and then he just got had, was getting just 0.4 uh, with the Pistons, so that was something where it's like that might be a schematic thing defensively for the Pistons with understand Van Gundy that was a little bit different that, that Griffin was a little bit less aggressive in that area um, ultimately I like the way that Griffin played for the Pistons so as far as his fit on the team next year, I know everybody wants to every time he every time Griffin is brought up everybody wants to deride his kind of place in the NBA because he's got another four years of an absurd amount of money, but if you're just talking about his skills and what he does, I mean, the way Blake Griffin plays is a lot like the way Ben Simmons plays. Um, unfortunately, Ben Simmons is probably already a better player than Blake Griffin simply because Ben Simmons' defense is better than Blake Griffin's. So, you know, if, if I had one hope and wish as a um somebody who would like to see the Pistons still do well, it would be that... Griffin almost gets put into that point guard role under whatever head coach they bring in.
0: Weirdly enough, I checked those numbers with him and Reggie Jackson. The In the time that he played with Jackson, he averaged 12.2 assists per 100 possessions. And with Jackson off the court, he averaged 9.2. So three assists per hundred possessions fewer for Griffin when he, when he was actually without Reggie Jackson on the court, which was weird to me. I wasn't expecting to see uh, a discrepancy in that direction and not a discrepancy as large as that. So he actually was more impactful as a, um, as a passer when he shared the court with Reggie Jackson. Again, not something that I really anticipated being the case, but, uh, I guess the the numbers didn't lie in that uh, in that limited time frame that we saw him uh, out there with Reggie. Now let's talk about Reggie Kyle. He's 28 years of age, just turned 28. 45 games, 27 minutes, 15 and a half sorry, 14 and a half points, three boards, five assists, 1.23s, threes, 43, 84, and 31. The, I guess the positive we can say is the injury wasn't his knee. It was a fluke-type ankle injury. It wasn't a degenerative problem. It wasn't just soreness leading to problems. He rolled his ankle, his ankle bone pretty much touched the floor. It was a terrible grade three ankle sprain, and that cost him all that time. Um, we know the Van Gundy point guard mantra in that no starting point guard for me can ever play more than 30 minutes per game, whatever bullshit reason that is. So that's why the minutes were low as well as coming back from the injury. He still scored well. In Deficiency wasn't there. But the thing that always is going to hold Reggie Jackson back from being a top level fantasy player is he gets no steals. He doesn't hit threes at a high rate, and his assists are fine, but they're not spectacular, and pair that with poor efficiency. This is sort of who he is, but I feel that, and again, we don't know who the coach is at the time of recording, that that coach might come in and say, I don't know what this bullshit is about 28-minute limit on your point guards. Play 34, and let's see if you can bump yourself up and maybe average 17 points per game and six assists.
1: We could definitely see that. With a new coach coming in, you might see them kind of cut cut. Reggie loose in regard to just letting him play a big, big, uh, big number of minutes from game to game. With that said, if you watch Reggie Jackson play, this dude breathes so hard and it makes you feel like he can't be out there for too long because he might legitimately have such bad lung capacity or the asthma that he says he deals with. I'm suspicious of asthma because I supposedly had asthma as a kid and I just kind of let go of it at one point. And I was like, you know what, man, whatever. Um,
0: (laughs) the power of positive thinking,
1: (laughs) right? I'm just skeptical of, of how much to what people are uh, diagnosed with sometimes. But, uh, but when you watch Reggie out there on the court, like I said, he just breathes so hard sometimes and he looks exhausted to the point that I don't know if he legitimately can play a 32 to 36 minute night a game a role or if that's something that the next coach would even be looking at him for. Honestly, I hope they put him into the six man role because I want that, that Blake Griffin as point guard um, to happen. And I also want to see a bigger backcourt defensively for the Pistons because look at the way the, the NBA is going. There's so many teams out there right now that are just running out a bunch of six, seven guys at every single position. And it's, you're not going to match up with that with Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith y'all.
0: That is true. They are quite, uh, quite small. Now, I think one of the big surprises for the Pistons this season, Kyle, was the play of another Reggie. Um, weirdly enough, there are three Reggies in the NBA and they all play for the Pistons. Reggie Bullock, um, one of those Reggies at the age of 27, played 62 games, 28 minutes, 11 points, two threes, two and a half rebounds, one and a half assists, 0.8 steals, and shot a immaculate 49% from the field, 80% from the line, and 45% from three. I kept saying that Reggie Bullock isn't going to be able to keep up this level of shooting, and he said, screw you, Josh, I am, and kept it at a nonsense level, like 45% from three is out of control, 62% true shooting. This is a guy whose uh, true shooting was at 54 the year before, it was at uh, 47 in 14-15, it was 58 in his first year in Detroit, but he'd never seen a load this large. He'd never seen an efficiency this large. He'd never been a starter before. And he proved himself as, if not a starter caliber player, at least a rotation caliber player who can hit those threes well. Something that Tony Snell needs to be able to do in Milwaukee, but he does nothing else. And that's, that's the problem is he just doesn't do anything in terms of racking up rebounds or assists or steals or anything like that. He's a three-point shooter who's a low volume scorer. Does it efficiently fills that gap? But uh, what else can we think about Reggie Bullock? Can he improve in any of these other areas, or is this uh, is this like the top level where he gets to?
1: I, I mean, he's Reggie Bullock is perfect for today's NBA in that he plays defense, he plays hard, and he shoots the three ball at a high clip, um, at a high rate, so or a decently high rate. So I think going into next season, he's got to be looked at as the Starter at either shooting guard or small forward for the Pistons, and as long as he continues to shoot the ball well from beyond the arc, he's going to hold that job down. But the the two big bugaboos for Bullock it, it's he's always been regarded as a competent and good shooter, um, but it was early in his career. It was he didn't get a chance with the Clippers, and then it was he couldn't really stay healthy there for several seasons. So now that he was actually able to stay healthy this year, and take on a bigger role thanks to guys like stanley johnson struggling at early in the season um that just that opened up the opportunity and he uh he he claimed it i mean other than shooting 23 percent from beyond from three-point land in in uh november on in limited minutes bullock shot 42 percent every single month or better so i mean he just he was great all year and i don't think i think it's real I would say it's definitely real.
0: Yeah look he was a good three-point shooter before he was always a good three-point shooter that was part of the reason he got drafted and of course Doc Rivers said you're a rookie so therefore you cannot play until you become at least 26 years of age and then got rid of him for for nothing Um, but he was always able to shoot the three but he was more consistent he stayed healthy and yeah he will be locked into a pretty solid role but he's not a guy that I think we should be looking at as a standard league player not sort of some breakout type candidate he'll be a solid option for threes another reason why you know prioritizing threes early in the draft is not necessarily the best idea because you can find guys like this especially who do it at high efficiency he just doesn't do too much else now you did bring up um uh your uh, your boyfriend and that is stanley johnson how's that relationship tracking where are you sitting on the harden slash kawaii um hybrid comparison
1: um you know it's i think it's still a legit comparison <laughs> <laughs> Like, um, if you if you know me at all, and y- you know that I love Stanley Johnson yes. and the the idea of him, the fact that he's a yoked um, <clears throat> guy who's got the size, the the talent, the ability to be a Kawhi slash Harden hybrid in the NBA, um, but the production hasn't been there yet. I, I haven't loved the way that he's been used by the Pistons. I'm ecstatic. To see what he'll be next season under a new coach, really just to solidify whether or not he is going to ever um, be something that people can legitimately look forward to night in and night out. Because you do see it in, you know, fragments and in glimpses those the the those moments where Stanley Johnson is put into the right position to do what he does well, and and mostly that's grabbing the rebound. And running down the court, pushing the pace, and trying to either go into the rack if the if he's beating the defense to get back, or be giving up the ball. Like they they need to figure out how to use him right, put him into good positions so he can be efficient. Because all of the physical tools are there, and some of the vision is there. We saw in six games in April when he was playing 32 minutes a night, he was averaging over three assists a game. Um, He was getting 1.8 steals. Those are helpful fantasy numbers. He was also getting 1.53 pointers at that time. I uh, still wasn't too efficient, though. And, yes, that's a limited sample size. But there are things to like about Stanley's capabilities. Uh, he just needs to realize that production-wise. Whatever, man. Sorry, I'm trying to get to a
0: positive <laughs> point about it. No, look, you're right. Look, he did show a little bit in terms of handling the ball. I haven't liked personally the way he's been used at times as well. The steal rate is really strong. He's an okay rebounder as well, but the shooting is just horrible. He had a career-high um, field goal percentage this season, 375 He shot 29% from three. He has yet to have a true shooting season of over 50. He was at 48%. And for reference, league average is 56. So he is way, way off the mark in terms of his shooting. He can't get anything going consistently in terms of generating offense. He's a low usage player who can't hit shots. The steals are nice. He played 27 minutes per game, um, but that's the only category that he was a positive in for fantasy. A 1.4 steals per game is nice, but Nothing else there. As you said, we saw flashes of ball handling, but it just didn't last. But there is an opportunity here. He is only... um he has only just turned 22. So we're talking about a guy that's still got room to develop. He's heading into his fourth season, a new coach that actually might value something that a young person can do, unlike the previous coach. Not that Stan didn't give him some opportunities. He didn't give him the best opportunities, but you know, we saw a nice end of the season for, from Johnson. The last six, seven games, he got, uh, four, 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 three, two, two assists. And he also had in a four-game stretch in the year four, three, two, one in terms of steals, and prior to that three and four steals. So he was racking up the steals. In fact, in March and April, he had uh, four games of at least four steals, which is obviously you know, really useful numbers there for fantasy. You just got to get him those three assists per game and be able to hit some shots. And he started to do it a little bit at the end of the season. He wouldn't be someone who I'm totally writing off. It's been bad. It, it hasn't hasn't been good. The offense has just been a, a nightmare most of the time. There is still some faith in Stan, although it's uh, it's dwindling at least here on my end. Um, he's still the same age as uh as Kinnard. Yep. So exactly. Anyways. Yeah, he's still he's still young. He was drafted young. He's still got room to grow. Ish Smith, Kyle. He's about to turn thirty. Played twenty five minutes a game. Four and a half assists. Eleven points point eight steals shot 49% from the field and 35% from 3 despite being a poor shooter but he he took the shots that he knew that he can hit and that's something that I do preach as, as something that, that does show someone who knows what they're doing that they won't be taking um bad shots and that can be useful in fantasy if it's even if it's not necessarily great for uh, NBA play he was in the 84th percentile at at the finishing at the rim 63% and hit his mid-ranges at an extraordinarily high rate 44% so there's a risk of some level of regression there for ish there are a lot of people who uh, have been seen to have been have been saying that the Pistons are better off without Reggie Jackson. They sh- should start Ish Smith. I am not one of those. Are you one of those? They're better off without both of those guys, but unfortunately, they're both on
1: the roster for next season right now. Um, there's, it's uh it's it's just difficult. Ish shot thirty five percent from three point this year. That's decent, um, but he was only taking one point two attempts per game in twenty five minutes. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do a lot on defense. He doesn't really help you there much. Um, that isn't look when you watch Ish Smith. There's times where you're sitting there and you're like, oh man, he, you know, he made a great play or he did this or he did that, and it's like, yeah, but he gets tons of opportunity to do those things, and he also takes a lot of mid range jump shots that. If, if you're going to be taking those shots, for one, you better make them, and two, that's nothing special. If you're, if you, you, we have tons of other players on the team. Anybody else can take those mid-range shots. We don't, so having somebody just dribble around and then end up taking a mid-range shot or even early in the shot clock take a mid-range shot, it's especially when he's doinking at, you know, a considerable amount of, I don't, um, it's hard for me to see the, the utility of a guy who's Ishmith size, who doesn't add a plus on defense, who does things in today's NBA that you just, you don't ask, you don't really need, um, especially when you have other people who are capable of handling the ball and making passes and things like that. So, um, just not a big fan of his game and how he
0: fits in today's NBA. Nope. Same here with me. Now I've been uh, on records uh, plenty of times talking about Luke Kennard and uh, how well I thought he did play this season and the the, uh, misuse of him by Van Gundy uh, a lot of the season. Of course, he's always a butt of jokes due to the Donovan Mitchell pick coming after that, but that is entirely unfair on uh, on Kennard. I was impressed with what I saw. And I, I think that you could, you could easily see that he becomes the starter next season on this team, whether it's, it's him, it's Stanley, it's Reggie in those, for those two, three positions. And I, I've got no reason to think the Canard can't push himself into a larger role. He shot 42% from three in his rookie year, eight points, two and a half rebounds, 1.7 assists and 0.6 deals in those 20 minutes. And I think that he can be pushing up, uh, to become maybe a top 150 guy next season. Did, did you like what you saw?
1: Yeah, no, I loved a lot of what you you saw out of Luke Kennard. His defense is a big question mark, and that's going to take him off the court some nights uh, for certain matchups if he's just getting eaten alive. But guys shot forty-two percent.
0: His defense, I thought he was no, it, it
1: it wasn't terrible. It's just there were certain nights where you would just he he would he would he would lose confidence in himself. He'd do something stupid. Or you know, it was a lot of rookie stuff. It's it's not necessarily none of it was really surprising, but you 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 it was hard to defend him not getting taken off the court at times because of those reasons. Um, but as far as his offensive skill set, he's a guy at six five who a lot of people are going to say, well, he's a shooting guard. But nah, you know what? He's a ball handler. He's yeah. a he's a combo guard. Um, at 65 he can he can step up and play that small forward position at times if you want him to uh, he can shoot it off the dribble uh, he can he can he's got great vision so there's just there's a lot of things to like about Luke Kennard and i think that more importantly than anything is it'll be exciting to see what the next coach does with him however i wouldn't necessarily be surprised I wouldn't be surprised if he starts or if he comes off the bench. Um, it'll really depend. It's it's pretty much going to be, there's going to be some kind of pull, uh, push and pull between Kennard and Stanley Johnson next year for as far as who's going to get minutes. I think probably on a nightly
0: basis. I think it. If- it feels almost guaranteed that he plays more than the twenty minutes per game that he played this season. Uh, and the stuff that you mentioned, yeah, ball handling, yeah, he's he's a strong guy in terms of handling the ball. He can get assists, he can rebound, he can get steals. He hit his mid range shots well. He hit his threes well. He, he's a poor finisher at the rim. He's got, he's got to improve that. He's got to improve his ability to uh, to draw fouls. As well, he needs to get to the line a little bit more and, and push there. And uh, But I, I do think that he has, at, at some point, probably not next season, but he does have um, top 100 uh, fantasy potential, and it's going to be interesting to see exactly how he is used next season. A couple of older guys, I don't know, we don't need to touch too much on them. Anthony Tolliver, at 33 years of age, shot 44% from three, hit two threes and was a fantasy-relevant player down the stretch with Blake Griffin out Um He's just—he's just that guy that again you can just stream in for threes, Kyle, and he can—he uh, can do that for you. But he's not a full-time starter or anything like that. And his role could be in flux depending on what happens with the tackle box, John Lua, who missed pretty much all of this season with an ankle injury. And if we're honest, he's not good either.
1: No, there's not there's not a lot to like about John Lauer. Uh The Anthony Tolliver thing—I hope they bring him back because he's a good dude, and he was really good shooting the three-point ball last year, and he's good at defense. So he just he fits with today's NBA, and he provides somebody who, if you want to use him as a small ball backup center in those those kind of lineups, you can do that. Um, John Lure, he wasn't healthy this year, so we didn't really get to see too much of him. But the, a big bugaboo about John Lure's game is the fact that he's just never accepted and it, to the fact that he should be more aggressive. The fact that he has the ability to do things, and he plays such a limp game out there a lot of the times, where he's so cautious about trying to to forego mistakes on offense that he doesn't actually press the point, or uh, you know, it's he 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 stalls things, he stutters things, like I'm doing with my explanation right now. So, um, ultimately, it's it's hard to get. Uh, too optimistic about John Lure's role on this team next year. I, I would expect him to maybe slot into a backup center s- spot, but I don't think he does better defensively than what Eric Moreland does there. So,
0: um, And Andre Drummond's probably going to play a ton of minutes under whatever coach they get. Yeah, you would, you would assume that's the case. One last guy before we get out of here, and that's our big Hank Allenson, the 2016 first round draft choice, who played the, a robust nine minutes per game. Four points, two rebounds, half a three. He's been shit, really. He ha- he hasn't been good. He shot the ball poorly. Uh, only 38 games in the NBA, only two G League games. So just a lot of, uh, DMP CD-ing for Allenson this season. We've got Lewer, you've got, Lew, got Tolliver, you've got Drummond, you've got Griffin. The path for minutes for him is clearly fairly crowded, assuming that, uh, that Tolliver is back on this team. Um, is that just a-, a wasted pick at this point, or are you still holding out some hope after only two seasons and at the age of 21?
1: Henry Allenson is becoming a modern day version
0: of Austin Day. I used to love like um, Austin Day so much. I thought this guy can this guy can actually be a contributor. He's one of the guys I missed on a lot. Yeah, it's it's you look at the tool set
1: that they have and you say, "Okay, they could do this or they could do that. They should be able to find success, but for whatever reason they it, you know, Henry Allenson just appears to be one of these players that can't really figure out how he should fit into into the NBA and he can't Mainly because he just can't do it efficiently um, but i wouldn't I wouldn't write him off because I think he has the size and the at least the offensive talent to be someone who a a coach should be able to carve into some kind of n b
0: a player I know in his career, sh- I'm shitting on Stan Van Gundy a lot, but I-, I always, with these guys who are so young, like Johnson, with Kennard, with Allenson, I-, I just go, okay, well, you were playing under Stan Van Gundy for two years, and he notoriously refuses to play young players in big roles and has zero patience with them, and it doesn't really focus massively on developing those guys, so maybe I think a new coach can come in and actually be uh, a developmental guy and help these guys out. Now, you would have thought Allenson was in a perfect situation. Hey, let's be the Ryan Anderson, Rashad Lewis for this team, you be that stretch four that goes out and bombs threes, but can never get on the court. His defense is atrocious. Um He can't protect the rim or anything like that. But again, I give him that. Okay, you're heading into your third year. If by the end of four years, someone's not doing anything, then they're, they're pretty much cooked. But you know, you're heading into your third year, a new coach, maybe a new opportunity. Just maybe, but there's a long, long way to go. For Henry Allenson, especially with his deficiencies uh, on the defensive end, he needs to become an absolute lights-out shooter. And even a guy like Ryan Anderson can't even see the court anymore in the NBA in, in the conference finals. So yeah, that's a I, see, I look at Ellenson
1: and, and I, I, he's kind of like somewhere between a Trey Lyles and a okay. Nikola Jokic in regard to the skill set. So he's a big who should be rebounding the ball and taking it up the court and then trying to disrupt the other team's defense by the fact that he's pulling out their their down-low defenders or their rim protectors. Pistons don't really do that with them, or at least they didn't do it consistently. And it's because you have guys like Ish Smith out there or Reggie Jackson in your offense just pounding the ball into oblivion. So um, next year, hopefully we see almost no Ish Smith. Less Reggie Jackson and more just sharing the ball on this Pistons team Because even Andre Drummond showed last year That if you give him the ball in the high post He can do those DHOs where he's handing the ball off Creating a lot of space with his body And when the defender or the the center comes up and tries to to defend those shooters on the other side of, of Drummond's body, Drummond can put the ball on the floor and go to the rack in a in a straight line. He can do that, and he can draw fouls. And the fact that he shoots free throws at a better rate this year, he's he's not afraid of that contact. He's not playing away from it, or he wasn't. So hopefully all these positive things that we saw Stan Van Gundy do in limited pieces gets put together into the right kind of puzzle this year under, uh, under a new coach because th- the – the, the talent is there on this roster. It just, for whatever reason, Stan Van Gundy did a good job as president and kind of an S job as coach.
0: Yep, that's a, that's a good summary of the last couple of seasons of the Detroit Pistons. I think that that should wrap it up for us. I don't think we have huge amounts to say on Kay Felder or Reggie Hearn or, or Dwight Bikes. Eric Morland, we spoke about a little bit earlier. Langston Galloway was just... And I'm not sure where, where he fits in. Maybe we see him uh, over Smith. Maybe that would be an upgrade. I think, I think it could possibly be, especially playing off of a guy like Blake Griffin. But his overall fantasy upside is pretty limited, Kyle. Thanks for coming on and discussing your Detroit Pistons. Let everyone know where they can find you over on Twitter
1: thanks for having me on josh you can find me on twitter at @rotokyle_nba. nba thanks a lot everybody
0: go and uh, follow him there follow me at redrock underscore Beeble. and if you are so kind as to leave a five-star rating for this podcast on apple Podcasts, and make sure you're subscribing google play TuneIn, stitcher spotify or on youtube and check out the rest of the locked on podcast network as well at LockedOnNBANet nba net or locked on kyle thanks again for coming on thanks josh We are done here, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Henry Allenson.